Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo, and hello everybody out there. And welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. I am your host, Mike Moynihan, longtime collector, longtime vintage lover, but I really love the hobby just in general. And tonight's going to be a great topic because if you've been in the hobby a long time, or if you've only been in the hobby a short time, it's highly likely that this topic is going to resonate with you. And that's because all of us, no matter we have, if we have what we consider to be a small collection, a giant collection, Hall of Famers, no-namers from your favorite team, it doesn't matter. We have all been influenced by something. We've all been inspired by stuff. We've all live in a world today where the impact of social media is greater than ever in the hobby. And so that's a topic that we're going to cover a lot of different bases with this and there's so much to cover that I wanted to bring a guest on who I've been remiss to not have on this show. And I'm going to give him a hard time here in a second, mainly self-directed hard time. Uh, and that is Alex Bowman 53. How you doing, man? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great, man. And I'm so glad to be here. So I look forward to this. Yeah, it's been, we've talked about this for a, a couple of months now and I remember I did an episode talking about the differences between 53 Bowman and 53 tops. And I cannot tell you how many messages I got privately. Like, what are you doing? Not having Alex on that show. And I thought, yeah, that probably would have been a really smart idea. Given that your YouTube username is Bowman 53. Uh, for those out there, that are listening to the podcast and may not know you, Alex, maybe give them an insight into, uh, why your name is Bowman 53 on YouTube and what kind of stuff you like to collect that whole story. For sure. So first off, Mike, it's probably a good thing you didn't have me on that because it would have been lopsided. Uh, I don't think the tops person would have gotten a chance to speak. Uh, so <clears throat> I've been collecting for gosh, four years now. So really not that long. Um, I collected as a kid, took time off as most people do. And when I got back into the hobby, um, I did something that I, I didn't think was crazy, but in retrospect, it definitely was, which was that I only collected the 1953 Bowman set. Um, and that was my entire focus for, I guess, two years. And in that time, I don't really think I picked anything else up, which is definitely crazy. Um, but I really had a lot of fun building it. And Initially, when I started my YouTube channel, it was just to kind of keep track of what I got. And then by the end of finishing that set, I discovered this whole community thing. So um, since then, I've been building 
my own kind of personal set, I guess you could call it. There's no right or reason to it. It's just like cards that I react to, cards that I like. It's primarily vintage, um, pre-war, but right now I'm spending a lot of time in the 1950s. I can't get out of the 1950s for some reason. Um, I mean, maybe because the cards are awesome, right? But uh, so, yeah, so that's my that's my hobby history. Yeah, that's a good reason to stay in the 50s because they're awesome <laughs> cards for sure. Best, best cards ever, yeah. Um, I am, you know, I reached out on my YouTube channel to try to get people to give me some ideas for future shows because, oh, by the way, you're on the one-year anniversary show. You don't know that. You didn't know that. But I've been doing this podcast now for a year, and it's amazing to see how much it's resonated with people, how much people have really loved the vintage genre or niche or whatever you want to call it has been largely ignored in the last couple of years of the hobby boom because, you know, card prices of moderns have gone up so much and there's just this gravitation towards new and shiny. Sure. And, but yet I'm finding this giant audience for people that want to hear about old and, and crusty, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and, yeah. It's kind of like me, old and crusty. And that's where, yeah, that's where we come in. Yeah. Old that's right. But uh, so welcome to the one year anniversary show. Um, hey, honored, honored to be here. Yeah. Not that it's anything special other than just another episode talking to a fellow collector about right. our love for this great hobby. And you actually, as I, as I was soliciting advice for future shows, I got some great ideas from a lot of different people. And I thought, I need to talk to Alex. We need, cause we've again, talked about doing a show and I texted you this, just to give people insight to how this stuff happens. Hey, I texted Alex. Hey, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> and it's like, well, we'll come up with something. And, and that's really how I run my show is just very ad hoc, uh, ad lib off the cuff, but you had a great idea and which is the things I talked about in the intro. Let's talk first about, social media and how it has transformed this hobby. Maybe talking from your perspective, how you've seen it transform the hobby and positives and negatives from that maybe. Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, my, my personal experience with it, maybe that will shed some light on it was when I decided to get into card collecting, I was not thinking about social media, honestly at all. Um, I, I was, kind of kind of dipping my toe in the water, learning about cards. And I had an old friend from college that I knew collected cards because it had kind of come up in conversations here and there. And I reached out to him thinking like, oh, I can kind of get some uh, tips from him because he's been doing this for a while. Well, it turned out that when I did, he had stopped collecting. And I can't remember what it was. He just kind of burned out from it. So I was like, all right, well, that's not going to work out. So I kind of hit a dead end there. And then I think maybe just out of desperation, I started typing stuff in on YouTube, just like on a whim. I mean, we all know what you can find on YouTube, but when you don't know about this community, it feels like a leap of faith. And when I did that, I was blown away by the fact that there was a response. Like there's just this like endless feed of like people making videos about cards, whether it was like showing cards or talking about you know, the history of the cards or whatever else, I couldn't believe it. And then that was it. I mean, I just got hooked. And of course that's the tip of the iceberg because there's Instagram, there's, you know, there's Facebook groups, 
there's all sorts of different avenues and they all have different aspects to it. Like Instagram is all about looking and just, you know, it's, it's pretty instantaneous and it's just about, you know, look at the card. Um, YouTube, there's, I think there's more about not just the card, but the person behind the card, I guess you could say. And Facebook is, is that, but it's more, I think Facebook is more like sharing opportunities like buying and selling or just community conversations and stuff like that. But they all have, you know, different aspects to them, but they're all about connecting people. And to me, that's what's so cool is if I, if I never went on YouTube and just typed in, you know, baseball cards, there's a good chance that my hobby life would have been like a couple of weeks. Like, I think it would have been like, okay, cool. I got some really cool cards and nobody in my immediate life really cares about cards. So I've got nobody to talk to about it. And that's kind of boring. So, so I feel like all the social media keeps our fandom, keeps our hobby love alive because other people get how we feel about it. You know, other people get, you know, how excited we are. Yeah. That's such, I think a common thing about the hobby in, in your story, discovering an outlet to be able to find community and it makes the hobby so much richer. Yeah. And I don't think people understand that that aren't a part of a community like that, whether it's again, Facebook or YouTube or Instagram or whatever. Um, this hobby can be incredibly solitary. Yeah. Right? If you left to its own devices and again, unless you have a lot of friends that you happen to grow up with and I don't hear stories about that very much of guys that, Hey, there were a bunch of kids and we all collected as kids and now we all collect as adults. That's not true. I had a buddy in high school that I collected Daryl strawberry. He collected Ricky Henderson. And although I still am friends with him and talk to him here, you know, 40 years later, it we don't talk about cards really right. ever. And he still has all his Ricky Henderson's, I think. I mean, uh, but I used to go to shows with him and stuff like that. Those relationships kind of evolve and, and usually fizzle out from a card perspective. And you end up, if you stay collecting or rediscover um, collecting as a hobby, where do you go to talk to other people about it? Because it's so not fun to have everything just sit in a dark hole. And yeah. so for me, my first venture into the social media world, I guess at all was really on forums. I was a part of freedom cardboard, which used, I think it still exists. Actually. I haven't been on there in forever, but FCB is what we called it. Freedom cardboard. And it was a, a cardboard forum. Then I got introduced to blow the blowout forums and right. I was on there for a long time. Still am on there. But I, what's funny is I have really gravitated away from those type of written forums because there's no personality to it. There's no uh, depth is probably the right way to put it. Uh, it just feels very superficial and people can go on there and you can be anybody you want and just be this, ogre or you can be super nice or you can be whatever it, it feels very impersonal do you agree with do you agree with that yeah i mean i my forum experience is definitely different from you but i've you know i've been in other forums like net 54 and 
uh, to oh, me it, for sure yeah, yeah yeah like i like that forum but i, I really kind of feel like that to me that forum is like a place that i go to do research or to like get advice or whatever um but i agree like i don't i don't go in those forums looking to connect with people i feel like it's probably difficult not impossible but like um, to me what i love about youtube is like yeah there's information there's there's knowledge but also there's just people that i can get along with and have a good time with and i didn't know that i was looking for that when i started but as it turns out it's like that's actually what i love about it the most i mean like the cards are cool but what i'm so surprised by is it's also about the people yeah it's funny how that comes up probably every other episode that I do, if not every episode, certainly on the podcast, because I usually have guests that are friends of mine from the YouTube community. Right. Uh, I don't, because the truth is when people, maybe if people ask me why those are, that's where I concentrate all of my guests on. Well, that's the people I know. Yeah. That's the people I'm comfortable with. Uh, and so it, and they also happen to be really great hobbyists too. They're all incredibly knowledgeable or uh, just fun. And I mean, so it, it sounds like I'm very, whenever I talk, especially that I'm very YouTube centric. That Again, that's just what has had the most influence on me is all of the people that I've met in the community. And what type, when you say the influence that it's had on you and, and how much fun it is, and that's why you're in the hobby, can you tell any specific stories maybe, or just people talk about some people that you've really made a great connection with and tell some stories about how that's changed your hobby? Sure. So um, when I think about when I first started watching YouTube, I mean, I definitely typed in 1953 Bowman. And if you type that in on YouTube, you're going to find Joey brings it. Um, and Joey's not making videos as much lately, but I loved, I mean, first of all, it's like, that was my exposure to the idea that people made videos about baseball cards and Joey is like such an upbeat guy. And so, um, he just loves, he just loves cards and it's like, it's not an act. Like that's just who he is. And he's so enthusiastic about it that like, it came through to me as like, okay, I already loved this set but the way that he would describe the cards and just how excited he was about the cards, like got me so much more like amped about it. And so maybe it's partially Joey's fault <laughs> that I went the direction I went in. Um, but I love it. And I, every now and then I'll go back and watch some of those videos because it's like, it just reminds me of like those early days of discovering that stuff. Um, so, I mean, since then though, like, you know, gosh, there's so many channels um, and you know what, like, one 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 channel that comes to mind too is like Ray Ray from Philly. I know you and you and Ray are, are good friends, and and Ray's been a lot around for a long time. And you know you pick up on that when you're new to it. Like okay, Ray's got a lot of followers, and it's just obvious also that he's been around, he's been doing it. You look through his channel, you see all the videos. But what I what I loved about watching um, Ray's videos, from what I remember, is like Ray Ray tends to show like one card at a time. Like he might show a handful sometimes, but usually it's like, I just got this pickup. And I liked that because it was like, um, I could tell he was excited about it. Like I was, I could tell he was, it was a card that he cared about. Maybe he was building a registry or he had a, a goal or something. It's like, okay, this is, you know, one more card in my process. And 
you know, he'd take the time to show the card and talk about it. And then maybe do like a reading from that Mike Payne book or whatever, which, and he's still doing it. I love that. Like, like he's got his, he's got his thing and he does it every time. And I kind of picked up on that. Like everybody's got their way of doing it. And, you know, so it kind of like makes you feel like, okay, well, I got to, I, I want to find a routine. I want to find a rhythm to collecting too. And the weird thing is like, you have a rhythm to collecting, but then you also have a rhythm to like how you make videos. Um, and it, and somehow it becomes part of the collecting habit. It becomes part of the hobby. Like to me, like YouTube and collecting is like, it's like this, like there's no difference between it. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Ray and I are good friends and we connected initially on the Mike Payne set, you know, the 300 great yeah. card. I saw him doing videos about it and I'm like, man, I'm do I'm doing that set too. Right. You know, uh, it, and it's weird how he, he might say that I've influenced him and I might, and I've, and I'll say that he influenced me, which is actually kind of the cool part about it. Right. Is doesn't, it's not like it has to be someone's, better or worse than the other it's more dude i saw you pick that up and i loved it and i went yeah. vice versa and it is never ending for me in terms of the influence that youtube constantly brings to my collection right. cards i might never have thought about before i see somebody show it and it's they're enthusiastic about it and passionate and i go oh my gosh i've got to go get i get it i yeah eureka moment of holy crap i get it i get why they're so they love it so much i'm right. i'm on the hunt right now for a stan mutual 1955 rawlings card yes, yes. and genie's talking about them all the time saying i'm guilty as well the same it's killing me i i love it and they're super rare so i'll be hunting for a long time but i know when i see one if i see one it'll evoke that memory that Oh my gosh, that's the thing John was talking about. Yeah. I loved it. And I thought it was really cool too. And he already has them. So I'm kind of, there's also a little bit of jealousy, right? Because I'm like, dang, <laughs> he's already got it. I got to go find it. But the hunt's the fun part anyway. Um, so I wish I could think, because I've been watching YouTube for 12, 13 years, I would guess, back when it was like, old school guys, like big yeah. time old school guys. And I never even considered being a part of the community that because a, I didn't know it existed. I was merely a lurker observer watcher for several years. I mean, there's a reason my YouTube channel is called baseball collector. Cause I got in so long ago that that name wasn't taken yet. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> like? Right. If you can just call yourself something simple like baseball collector and that not be, a name that's already been used. It uh, was, I wish I could remember my, like my first, I remember the types of videos that I, I liked watching guys do tours of their room. Sure. Uh, and how they displayed things. I, I find incredible fascination with that and inspiration from that, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, my desk that I have, that's covered in cards with glass over it was, I saw that on somebody else's, um, channel right. the the beast behind me i saw i had this idea and then i saw some comic book collectors actually not even sports card guys that had cabinets like that yeah and i was like man i could do that for cards how cool that reminds that me that reminds me of like i don't i don't remember the timeline but i definitely remember 
whether whether I watched it when you did it or if I went back and watched it when you were building that. Um, that always kind of stuck in my head. And then like, what was it like two years ago? I made, I got, I had made like my own mini tiny beast. It's like nowhere near <laughs> what you've got, but like something for my set. And I was like, it, what stuck in my head was that's awesome that Mike did that. But I, but what I really liked was that it's like, okay, it's, it's cool to have the cards, but it's like, I want to have a great place for the cards to live, so to speak. And yeah. I always had it in the back of my mind and that, that came from you. Definitely. Yeah, and I've seen many people, and you know, create their own version of the beast. Yeah, and, and I love how people put their own spin on it and make it their own and make it fit their collection. Like that's that's the greatest part of inspiration. Inspiration isn't supposed to be necessarily replication and duplication. It's supposed to be inspiration to something better, to something more unique or different, and. Like this isn't the greatest card case in the world, but it is the greatest card case in the world for me. Sure. Does that make sense? Like um, I just need two more of them and I'll be set. <laughs> it's this. And then different guys, I, I would name a few, but I'd be remiss because I'd miss a couple that I know have built their own cool things. I just think of Jake, the ticket leprechaun, yeah, sure. his big unit and Garrett, my good friend built, what he calls the monster, you know, so everybody names their, you know, their case, something uh, grandiose and scary sometimes, but the it's, it, that's so flattering because not because they might not have come up with that idea on their own, but it, go, it gives them that jolt. It gives them that, Hey, I, I can go do that. If, if dumb Mike can go do that, well, certainly I, I can. Um, I just have my dad that was right. the genius behind that. Believe me, uh, that all my dad. But yeah, I I've been influenced so much over that, and I don't get, but I don't get influenced by um, Instagram as much. Although I can't say I'm a huge Instagram guy, but I bet there's a lot of guys out there that they're scrolling through their Instagram feed and seeing cool cards that they've never seen before. But certainly, I, I would think that would be a source of inspiration. Do you? Yeah. Um, you know what? There are YouTubers that have Instagram channels that I follow just because I know the guy. Um, and they'll have different spins on it. Like, you know, Scott, Scotty Tradition has a good Instagram. Um, uh, Brent Nearmint Musings does a really good job of, like, his Instagram feels really different from his YouTube channel. Like, he, he, he does stuff on his Instagram that's not exactly what he does on YouTube. And, and I'm sure there's a ton of people out there that I'm not even following that are doing cool things. And I mean, it's all about, it's the same thing. It's like, there's something tactile. There's something visual about baseball cards that people like. It's like, okay, maybe I've seen that card a hundred times, but I've never seen your copy of it. And I've also never seen your excitement for it or the fact that you just got it or whatever your story is. Maybe you like finished a set or whatever. And to me, that's actually what I respond to more than the card now. Like at first it was the card that I was excited about and I still am, but like I'm way more excited about like your enthusiasm as a, as a YouTuber or an Instagrammer or whatever. That's what kind of gets me excited as a viewer. Yeah. And you get to the point where you're so ingrained in the people that you follow on whatever social media platform it is. I get more excited 
most of times when I see other people get something they've been on the hunt for yeah. for a really long time than I do for myself. I remember when you finished your 53 Bowman set by, of course, finishing it with the most beautiful baseball card of all time, the 53 yes. Bowman, uh, Pee Wee Reese. I was so excited for you and enjoyed it with you. Probably not as much as you enjoyed it, but believe me, we were all out there rooting for you, Alex, and super happy that you finished it. And I'm sure you got a lot of comments and kudos and, yeah. and things like that, which again, only affirms a, what the community can be and, and the depth that it can bring and be, wow, I was doing something that people actually liked. I mean, right. That's cool. Right. Yeah. If I, if I had built that set by myself without YouTube, it, you know, would be like, okay, cool. I finished it. You know, and then I would have gone made a cup of coffee and moved on with my day. Like it, when I made that video, like it was emotional, like as silly as it sounds, like it's like, wow, I finished it. It was this whole experience. And I was thinking about it as I made the video. It's like, okay, when I started this, I didn't know anything about, I hardly knew anything about baseball cards and, and you know, compared to what I know now, I didn't really know anything about grading. I certainly didn't know about the YouTube community. Uh, when I, when I finished that set, it's like, wow, I've got all these friends that I've made and I've got this really cool set that, I spent a lot of time building. I know way more about fifties baseball than I ever did before. Um, it was a whole experience that I'll never, I'll never forget and never be able to replicate. Um, so yeah. And that's to me, that's like YouTube in general is, is a place that allows you to do something like that. No doubt. And it, and it offers an opportunity to, put faces with names to put yeah. faces with voices to put personalities with the cards. It's cause it's way more. We've again saying this ad nauseum, but it's way more than that. When you were a kid or maybe even as an adult, there's more mediums than just social media that can influence us. You and I talking pre-show about, I mean, reading and, and, learning and just looking at books or web pages or whatever, what are some th other things that have influenced your hobby? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, one of the things that I kind of picked up on was, you know, when I was kind of getting my feet in the hobby and, and, you know, dipping my toe in the water, I would get a sense for different people's styles of collecting. And I, I would pick up on these cards and that would take me to the internet. And I'd start to like learn more about the years. Like it's weird now that, you know, if you say like, you know, 1954 tops, I can picture the design, but you know, three or four years ago, I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so at a certain point, it's like, okay, I got a feel for the hobby. I got a feel for the different styles and eras and stuff. But one thing that kind of frustrated me was I, I really wanted a place where I could kind of see everything. Um, you know, if I go on eBay and type stuff in, I'll, I'll come across what I come across, but um, I wanted a place where I could, see more of everything and so one of the books that i got and i'll show it it's a huge book so like, this is going to be really awkward to hold up but uh it's this book classic baseball cards from 1886 to 1956 and it's not like 100 comprehensive but i would say it's pretty darn close it's like everything from tops everything from bowman and pre-war and, and so on and it's it's amazing because you, you literally can just flip through decades and decades worth of baseball cards and um 
and for me that was so valuable because it's like okay i i like the big cards like the hall of famers and stuff but i also like common cards and so this gave me a way of like just kind of sitting down actually just a couple days ago flip through it again and just kind of take my time enjoy it and like one i can enjoy all the cards but i can also kind of it's almost like you know window shopping like i was like oh, I, I kind of overlooked that card last time maybe i should think about that card so that for me is like a huge resource yeah, it's almost like the first non-fungible token NFT before there were NFTs because you can't, it's not a card, right? It's a, it's not a digital version. It's a 3D version of the card, but it's not the real card, but it can provide some inspiration as well. Yeah. I I used to look at baseball books as a kid all the time. And um, I had the, each team used to have these little surf like team books and they'd have each team set from every year in them that tops put out they were incredibly cheap and given out at ballparks and stuff like that i wish i could find all of mine now i, I have them somewhere in this house i just don't know where they are um we'll make a great video mike you searching for the for those in your house <laughs> that'd be great looking through the attic uh but when i was a kid you know i think it, to become a, a real fan of vintage like to be a fan today of vintage you have to be a fan of baseball i think yeah I yeah think. I agree. If you are in it for the money, you know, good for you. But I think that's a terrible motivator because money <laughs> always tends to disappoint. Um, yeah. But if you or I, I loved the game as a kid yeah. and it, I loved reading about the history and I've talked about this, but I've got it out. I pulled it out for you. That sounded. Uh, <laughs> yeah. For the podcast viewers, let's explain that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I pulled out the book, the baseball encyclopedia, which is this giant, you know, it's, it's massive. I don't even know. It could be used as a doorstop for a vault door, you know? Yeah. And the, I have the ninth edition here. I had a couple of earlier editions there. They are up in my attic. I only keep the newest one, which is 1993, by the way. So it's, you know, what is that? 30 years. Yeah. A uh, long time ago, but I used to just read this, Alex, and it's got every player ever that ever played. It's got their career stats, you know, and it's just a name with their, their statistics. And but it's got all the record holders and the different World Series and the All-Star Games and the, you know, top 100 home run guys at the time, which ooh, let's, I wonder how fast I can find that. There you it's go. changed, but. I literally used to just like single season batting leaders, Hugh Duffy. And I'd be like, who the heck is Hugh Duffy? <laughs> right. I mean, he hit 438 in 1894. And he's got to have a baseball card, though. Right. So, he, right. And I want to know, you know, who all these people were Jack Chesbro and Amos Russi. All these are Hall of Famers, by the way. They just happen to be. But lifetime. I'd go through who who had the highest lifetime batting averages and worst home runs here. I'm trying Hank Aaron, of course, 755. And I'd memorize these numbers. They they meant something. They were iconic. 755 yeah. meant Hank Aaron's home run total. 714 was Babe Ruth. 660 was Mace. Like I could tell you all the guys. Uh, back then to be in the top 10, you only had to have 521 home runs. Uh, so, 
And I thought it was always interesting that Ted Williams and Willie McCovey both each hit 521 home runs. And then Eddie Matthews and Ernie Banks both hit 512. I thought that was, I don't know, just interesting. Just those kinds of weird things. Yeah. And this was way pre-eBay and all of that stuff. So finding cards was not like I could just get on eBay and look for any card that I want. Yeah. It was going to a show or going to the shop. And I could certainly never afford like a Lou Gehrig card or Ruth or any of those guys. Even Aaron and Mays were out of my price range as a kid. But as I got older, discretionary income increased and I started to buy these cards. And then I see other stuff on, I get involved in YouTube. It's like this tangled web of craziness that allows the hobby to expand beyond I would have ever, ever, ever been able to tell you. Right. And you can trace it all the way back to that encyclopedia. I can't. Just loving it. Um, Have you read this book here called The Bubblegum Card War? Yes, I have. Yes. Um, I love this. This is done by uh, Dean Hanley, who's Dean's Cards on eBay. So if you've most all of us have bought cards from Dean's cards before, or at least seen them and said, that's overpriced. I'm not buying that, but yeah. <laughs> uh, an amazing collection. He runs an amazing business. He wrote this wonderful book called the, the bubblegum card war about the Thompson Bowman rivalry from in the late forties, early fifties. It's fan. Yeah. It's fascinating by the way. Um, yeah. Do you recommend the book? Totally. And I, I feel like that's one of my favorite parts of the hobby too, which is, and I don't want to get us off track, but man, the Bowman tops thing, I feel like there's, I think there's probably even more to that story than people even know. And um, I, I think fascinating. Uh, and, you know, we'll see here, I guess in a few years, what's going to happen with, with tops and so on. But, but um, yeah, that rivalry was pretty awesome because we all benefited from it. We had amazing cards in the fifties. Yeah. And there were two choices of great cards. Yeah. Then you had the solo tops years from 56 through eight, uh, 80 essentially. Uh, and then it got out of control, right? With all <laughs> <laughs> like the, yes. the competition's good, but I think too much competition is too much of a good thing kind of thing. Right. Uh, but And speaking about other, again, as we talk about how great the community has been to us and how much we love it and all these different things, what I want people to understand and I'm worried about, if you're new to the hobby or new to getting back into the hobby, what would you tell people if they're feeling intimidated or it's an old boys club, they already all know each other, I can't, you know, I can't make any relationships within that it's already this close knit group and I'm an outsider looking in. What would you tell those people? Yeah, I would say, um, first of all, if you, if you jump in what you'll discover and what we've been saying so far is true, I think you'll find it to be true, which is it's going to make, um, collecting baseball cards, this whole other experience that you can't even really imagine until you experience it yourself. So, you know, if you're collecting baseball cards, chances are, you know, you're listening to this, you're, you're probably doing it and it's kind of a solitary thing. Maybe, you know, somebody who also collects cards. If you do, you're pretty lucky, but most of us have friends and family that look at us like we're crazy. Like, why are you collecting these old pieces of cardboard? Um, 
And at most they can be like, Oh, I'm, I'm happy that you're happy, but they're not really interested and they don't, they don't really want to talk about it. So um, it's kind of, it's kind of like this unfulfilling experience to be like, get the card and be like, Oh, this is awesome. And I've got nobody to talk about with it. And it's, it's weird how like this hobby, you need, I feel like you need people to interact with for this hobby to really be truly um, like fully enjoyable. I mean, you can still get a card and be excited about it, but, and enjoy it, but getting to talk about it with other people is so much more um, fun in my opinion. So that should be your motivator. And then the other thing I would say is, you know, when I started, I didn't know anybody and I definitely was apprehensive about getting myself out there and talking and putting myself on camera and all that kind of stuff. And like, honestly, like me, however long ago it was four years ago, the idea that I'm on camera right now, be like, what are you doing? Like, I couldn't imagine doing this, but the truth is everybody's welcoming everybody. Like, I feel like as a group, you know, it's always kind of turning over. Like some people are kind of taking a break from it. New people are coming in, but I feel like we're always welcoming. I was welcomed. I try to go out of my way to, to welcome new people. Um, and it's because we all know that what's at the heart of it is that everybody's looking to enjoy the hobby with each other and everybody's looking for an outlet and an opportunity to connect. And the initial connection is, oh, you like that set? I like that set too. Or your favorite player is Roberto Clemente. That's my favorite player too, or whatever it is. And then from that, all sorts of other stuff happens that you didn't anticipate, which is basically you make a bunch of new friends. And like, the other thing I'd say is like, I would, I would imagine most people would agree is like the older that you get, the harder it is to make new friends. And to me, that's like not the case in YouTube. It's really easy to make friends in YouTube uh, through this community, which is awesome. So that, that to me is a, a good enough reason to try it. Yeah. What you said is exactly true. I think for new people that are, again, either just they've been on the outside looking in and they may enjoy a lot of people's content, either whether it's podcasts or YouTube or watching them on Instagram or whatever. But the minute you can make a connect, I think it starts with what you said, which is, Hey, that's my same favorite player. or That's my same favorite set. Or I have that same card and I love it too. Those are ways to, how do I say this? Get your foot in the door. That doesn't sound very, um, to, to break bread with somebody and to break yeah. the ice you know, yeah. Yeah. and just try it, just reach out to somebody that you that's out there, whether it's on a forum or whatever, try to go beyond the superficial, try to go beyond that. And I mean, the truth is the truth. I mean, I get, I literally talk and you probably the same way. I talk to four or five hobby people every day, literally yeah. every day, whether it's via text or Instagram direct. I get a lot of direct messages from Instagram because people follow me on the podcast, send me messages on my Instagram, which is, Oh, by the way, at baseball collector, Mike, if you want to be one of those people that I'm the first guy you want to reach out to feel free. And they tell me their story. They'll type it out or whatever. Cause not everybody's on YouTube. And that's certainly that's listening to this and that's fine. There's a lot of ways to make the hobby richer for you. And uh, if you're not involved, I think you're missing out. I really do. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, like part of the fun for me um, initially and still to this day is 
you know, you can connect over common interests, but it's also like, you know, dude, what you do is not what I do necessarily, but I really appreciate and respect the way you collect or whatever. Um, and, and also like you can, um, you can connect with people in ways where like it makes the hobby more, um, fun in the sense that you can, and I know you do this, I do this. I think most of us do like reaching out for advice. Like, Hey guys, what do you think about this? Is this a good deal? Or does this card look good to you? Or, you know, what do you think? And you can kind of like pull on this huge resource of people that, you know, some of us have been doing this our whole lives and, and, or some of us are like an absolute expert in this era or whatever. And you can just pull on that information. Um, and one, it gives you peace of mind, but also it's like, it's part of the fun. It's like, I've got this community that like has my back if I need help or it's just a way to interact with people um, that I think like you don't have if you're just doing this on your own. Yeah. A funny story about a year and a half ago when I was talking with Ty and Jeff Hofer, who's pack geek and the three of us were coming up with this idea of bench clear media and what it could look like this conglomeration of YouTube channels and, and podcasts. And Ty was a podcaster primarily. And he, he knew hobby people, but they weren't like his friend. I mean, they were friendly. Sure. I don't know that he'd be, you know, calling them for life advice or anything. And so he knew them on a, on a business level. And, and Jeff and I tried to tell him like, dude, you don't understand this YouTube community deal is for real. Like, do you just wait? Like, he's like, Oh, that, it doesn't really, it's like he thought it was a unicorn or something like this doesn't exist. And so he gets, we start doing this bench clear media thing where we're putting out YouTube videos and channels. And I started the podcast. He was already doing his podcast, bringing in all these people. And then we did hobby Palooza for the first time. Oh, last right. year. And he's like, there's no way. Like we were, when the idea first came to me, he was like, how are you going to fill up that much time? Cause we did it for three days. I think last yeah. year, the first year um, he's like, how are you going to do that? I had it. I had the slots filled in like a day and a half. Like, and that was only cause certain guys couldn't call me back. You know, I mean, it was so easy. Yeah. It's like that network is unbelievable. Now it's taken, it, it, this, it doesn't happen overnight. I want to tell people that might be looking to do this. Like this isn't going to be like, you just open the floodgates and you're going to have so many friends. You you're going to have to turn your phone off at night kind of thing. It yeah. does take time. Like any good friendship, any good relationship takes time to cultivate. You can't just right. expect it to be this amazing experience initially, but I promise you, if you put in the time, if you put in the effort, just like in, again, like any other relationship, if you do that and you're going to get told no every once in a while, sometimes the pretty girl doesn't say yes to a dance. <laughs> yeah. and and so that's okay too that shouldn't doesn't mean you don't ask the next girl to take a dance and so try to just stick with it if um there's so much time in the day you know i can't spend 24 7 talking the hobby as much as i'd love to uh i've got a life i've got kids and wives and work and other hobbies and a ranch and all kinds, right. You know, there's all there's stuff tugging at us all the time. Sure. But I think it's one of those things that you'll get as much out of it as you're willing to put into it. And I don't think you'll be sorry. Right. 
Yeah. I, I, if there's any other advice for somebody that's thinking about this, I would say like focus on what you're talking about, which is like building relationships. Um, it's so easy to focus on the other stuff that YouTube kind of puts in your face to focus on, which is like subscribers and views and stuff. And of course you pay attention to that and you want people to watch what you're doing, but also remember ultimately, um, it's about building relationships. And if, you know, I, I remember like even like more than two years ago, I reached a point where I was pretty happy. Like I didn't have tons of subscribers. I didn't have tons of views. But what I did have was every time I made a video, I had a good experience with, um, you know, a handful of really substantial conversations that I could have in the comments. Um, and I was having a good time. And so when I reached that point, I was like, I'm, I'm cool. Like anything beyond that for me is gravy. Like, sure, I want more views. I want more subscribers. I want all that stuff like everybody wants. But I was happy with with the interactions. And if so, if you're if you're building good relationships, people are commenting on your videos or just, or just making friends. You don't necessarily have to comment. Um, eventually people start exchanging phone numbers. You start making friends. Now you're, now you're in, you know, you're, you're having a good time and that's what it's all about. Yeah. It's uh, incredibly important. I heard a quote. I, can't, I wish I could give proper credit for this quote, but somebody said this in a video literally years ago. This is, not something new, but it's a concept that's always stuck with me over the years. And as channels grow and get bigger, I think it's important not to lose sight of, I'd rather have four quarters than a hundred pennies. Right. You know, if I'd rather have four more significant relationships in my life than a hundred very superficial ones. And so the problem is quarters are bigger than pennies and, you know, they take up a little more, it just takes a little more time. Right. And sure. And again, you can't be best friends with everybody. I, I well, yeah. try, to, try to tell that to people like, look, uh, you can be really good friends with a certain number of people. You'll be good friends with another group. And, you know, these kind of concentric circles of relationships in our lives, the circle can be pretty big overall, you know, and right. it may not be, uh, again, you're, you'll find your core group. I guess that's what I'm trying to tell people. You'll or call people call it clicky. I think that's so bad because I interact with so many different people within the community. Mm -hmm. I don't consider it doesn't mean that uh how do I want to say this without sounding completely silly, but you're gonna have just people that you just get that's just life, right? I mean, yeah. you're just gonna find people you gravitate towards and uh, even if they're not quote unquote, your kind of best bud, it doesn't mean you can't really dig what they do right? You know? and still be, I mean, you, the YouTube get together this year at the national was lots of guys that I knew. Well, lots of guys that I knew really well, lots of guys I hardly knew at all, but knew who they, you know, so what it's, it's all fine. You know? Um, yeah. I mean, and the other thing too, is like, it's, it's a melting pot, right? So it's like, there you go. Yes. You can, so like I've had this happen to me where it's like, oh, I subscribe to a new channel. It's like, okay, cool. And I kind of watch a few of the videos and every now and then I'll watch a video that they post. And, All right, cool. I like it. You know, I don't necessarily connect with them right away and they don't necessarily connect with me right away. And then like a year goes by and something happens, whether it's like they do a particular video or they collect something in particular, something where like something suddenly clicks. It's like, oh my gosh, you and I need to talk. And then boom, like we're off. So it's like, 
you never know. Like sometimes it's like instant and sometimes it takes time. But um, the fact that you have this environment where that could happen, that's what it's all about. So it's like, like you're saying, you can't, you can't like keep track of, you know, a hundred channels, like intensely all time, all day long. It's just, you, you can't do it. But, you know, relationships will come up and you just never know when like suddenly somebody clicks with you and, and you click with them. It's, it's great. A couple more things and then we'll wrap this up. Yeah. One last thing or one thing I want to ask you and maybe have you expand on is being that this is a vintage card podcast, the people that are going to be watching this and or listening to it probably dig vintage, right? Are there some influential channels to you that you might tell them, Hey, if you love vintage too, you should go watch this person on YouTube, especially because they inspired me. Maybe say a few of those that. Oh yeah, for sure. These are, these are all going to be channels that, that I'm sure you know about. Um, the first one that comes to mind is Nuff Said Cards. Um, Andrew. Andrew. Yeah. I know Andrew. He's been on the show. Yeah. I was just going to say, I'm sure he has been. And um, Andrew, Andrew is like my, like he, he would like be like, Oh man, don't say that. He's like my mentor. Like I, I love the way I love that. The way that guy thinks. I love the way he collects. I love his collection. Like my, like I'm not anywhere near what he does, nor will I ever be. But um, when I finished the 53 set, I was trying to figure out where to go. And I had, I remember having lots of conversations with him and I definitely got intrigued by pre-war. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in the fifties, as I mentioned before, but I intend to get back to pre-war um, primarily because of him in a way, just the way he goes about looking for cards and his hunt and all that. I'm just incredible. Um, well, let me say one thing quick about Andrew. I'll, I'll throw in, yeah. this, I'll chime in with this. Uh, 100% you're accurate about the way he thinks and how cool that is. I call him the cardboard whisperer. Yeah. Uh, yes. Because if there's a card that I'm looking for that I really, if I can only get one opinion about it, it's going to be Andrew's. Yeah. And I'll text him a picture and, and that kind of stuff. He he's def- I totally agree with you. All right, next one. Go ahead. Yeah, another guy that um, I really respect uh, in terms of vintage is uh, a channel called Think Blue seventy seven. Jesse. Um, Jesse, yeah. So he's primarily a Dodgers collector, but but he's really across the board. He collects modern, he collects vintage, he he collects pre war. But I'd say he's pretty firmly set in the vintage world, and um, he has a really fun uh, collection, a really fun way of approaching it. And I'm always looking for his videos. Um, and just another another guy. I mean, there's so many guys I could could shout out, and I'll get in trouble for leaving them off because um, that's what happens. But uh, Chuck, Northside guy. Um, Chuck, right now, he's doing 33 Gaudi. He's doing T206, like rare backs. He's doing the 53 Bowman set, which is how we originally connected. Um, and, yeah, just another guy who has a great eye, and I just respect the way he goes about collecting. Yeah. Anybody else? I'm thinking, especially vintage Blue Jacket '66. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. Um, actually, those back pay. Eric knows a ton about vintage. Yeah, Eric, Very show more vintage on your channel. Right. We need him to do that. And um, okay, here, here are a couple more. Uh, Don, 
Don's Field of Dreams cards. Don and I originally connected because I kept saying every card he shows, like, yep, I want that card. Yep, I want that card. It's like, Don, stop. Get get out of my head, Don. Uh, <laughs> he's got he's got great cards. Um, yeah, you know, sorry to interrupt you, but Don it was on my channel. He was on this the podcast a few episodes ago. And he's one of those newer guys to the community, like really yeah. new. Yeah. And I think his advice, we even talked about this, you know, kind of in passing on the show, but like, he's like, Oh my gosh, I never knew this existed. Like that this yeah. kind of thing that, that the hobby could be this way. And he's so grateful that he just decided, all right, I'm just going to dive in. And he's so grateful and it's enriched his hobby experience as again, I think you would hear over and over and over and over again yeah. for people. And if you just want to stay in your dark room and that's the way you enjoy it, that's fine. Like I'm not yeah. telling people they have to do this or anything. It's just my experience would say it's a pretty good deal. Keep going. But I love Don too, of course. Um, a, a channel that I'm, that's kind of new to me. Um, maybe it's been a few months. Uh, TJ Mac vintage cards. Yes. Um, his stuff's crazy. Yeah, he does a great job. I like I like his videos because he tends to be like, okay, I'm going to talk about this specific set, and maybe it's the Hall of Famers from that set or whatever. And he talks about the year, he talks about the set itself, and he kind of shows them all off. So those are like fun videos to watch. Um, and who else? I mean, there's so many. Um, Dean Gerhardt. I want to throw in somebody that collects like raw vintage. Uh, I like the way like Dean's a set builder. And he, and he collects raw and it's fun because he'll be like, okay, I just went to a, a card show or a card shop and, you know, here's what I got. And, you know, he's, he's got a lot of different, you know, conditions that he's, that he's getting in terms of the cards, but it's really fun to watch him build the set. And, you know, he's, he's building everything. So it's a lot of fun to watch his stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, as we finish up here, Alex, first, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. We Definitely, I think you and I could really go go off on some 50s stuff. We could have a really good time. I can't believe this has been an hour. So, yeah. <laughs> like, what? Uh, the people that are listening are like, God, will you guys shut up? No. Yes. <laughs> but tell people out there, if they're not familiar with you, they're listening on the podcast, if they want to go explore YouTube a little bit and where they can find you. Sure. Well, my uh, YouTube channel name is Bowman53. No space, um, no spaces. And, um, yeah, it's primarily right now fifties cards and mail days. Um, so yeah, uh, not as many videos as I'd like to be making, but you know, like you said before, life, life hits you sometimes. So I'm, I'm a little busy now, but, but, uh, still trying to keep up with the community, always trying to watch other people's videos and comment, um, because it's fun and it's, it's, it's a blast. It's like once once you do it for a little while, you kind of get into it, and it becomes part of your routine. It's like those are my buddies. I want to check in and see how they're doing. So, totally. Well, I would encourage everybody out there if you don't watch Alex Poma Fifty Three. By the way, did you get your patch? I did, and I had not ever shown it. So here it is. Good. Yes, thank you, thank you very much. Alex is a member of the YouTube Sports Card Hall of Fame, voted on by fellow YouTube Sports Card channels and watchers and collectors and all that kind of stuff. So congratulations making it this year, Alex. Well deserved. Yeah, appreciate uh, it. But check out his channel. You will not be disappointed. And I would say start at the beginning. If you've never watched Alex before, 
watch his journey through the 53 Bowman color set, by the way, which is an important distinction. Uh, you should do the black and whites. Yeah, maybe one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> they don't look the same, do they? They just don't look the same. But no. uh, check out his channel. You won't be disappointed, I promise. And again, Alex, great having you. We got to get on, maybe talk some 55-ish, 54 Bowman versus Tops. Maybe do a little back and forth. There you go. Because those were two great years. Obviously, 52 is fantastic for tops anyway. Uh, but see, we could just, I almost started going down that road. I almost did it just now. And I'm like, nope, stop. <laughs> That's another episode. We'll Maybe get continued. That. Yeah. Maybe we'll just stop this one and start recording that one right after this. For maybe. You maybe. <laughs> no. Well, thanks again, Alex. And yeah. everybody out there, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. As always, appreciate the support. Thanks for making this one year of Golden Age for Cardboard a blast. I've really loved doing this. And we'll see you guys next week for the next episode. Take care and keep collecting.